Right, so just test test the audio, so just say anything. Okay. Mary had a little lamb, she kept it in the bucket. You haven't got a new line for this week. Okay, see how that is. Hello and welcome to episode two of the Grumpy Biker Show, uh, the difficult second episode. Um, how are you doing, Dad? How's your week been? Yeah, not bad, mate, not bad. And you're in retirement. I was going to say, not, not too busy now. Yeah, no. Uh, I'd like to check with your social diary to make sure I could do this today, but uh, just managed to fit you in, so Good. off we go. Uh, listeners will be delighted, I'm sure. Um, so, yeah, been out on the bike at all? Any rides out? Not this week. I'm not at um, yeah, You've just said you haven't done anything. Well, that takes time. Oh, right. <laughs> busy doing nothing. <laughs> well, fair enough. Well, I had um, had a bit of a ride out on Friday. Um, the longest, most boring, wettest ride I've ever been on, I think. I went up to meet some of the guys up in the Lake District um, for a week's holiday they had planned. So I went to meet them for the Friday. Uh, they had a complete washout. So I think they spent most of the week in the pub. They had a day um, over the Hard Knot Pass, over the middle of the Lake District, which was... Uh, Relatively treacherous, I think, but a good ride back though, um, Saturday. So set out from the lakes, down through the Lake District, skirting around Manchester, and then, yeah, basically top to bottom uh, through the Peak District, which was pretty good, with a little glimmer of nice weather. So not a bad week. It got got, uh, got the leg stretched on the Tuono, so yeah, all good there. What about the rugby? Did you catch any of the Lions? I know this is not a rugby podcast, but we uh, can enjoy Japan the, game. the Japan game, yeah. Yes, I watched it. Yeah. yeah, good start for the Lions. Do you think? Uh, definitely. Yeah, I mean, a win's a win, isn't it? And Japan are no pushover these days. No, they're not. Uh, South Africa will testify. So, <coughs> excuse me. Um, yeah, it's a good good start. You want to get on that plane with a win under your belt? So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. What about Alan Wynn though? That's a that's a blow, right? Dislocated shoulder. Is that what he was? He's out for the tour. Yeah, mm. if, um, he hasn't flown. He hasn't travelled to South Africa. I thought initially it was something wrong with his hand, but uh, obviously not. Well, having done it, um, when you dislocate your shoulder, unfortunately, your, your whole arm goes pretty limp, so oh. you, you do have that bit of limp wrist. But, uh, yeah, a bit of a shame for him, really. Um, and obviously, no England rugby to speak of. The game was called off for, well, no prizes for guessing why these days. But uh, mm. And what about the Prem final? I know we're diverting away from bikes a bit, but the Premiership final, oh, what? Cracking guy. What a game. Yeah. Um, Exeter went in. Massive favourites, but the old Quinns dug deep again. Came came back from nowhere. What a fantastic match. It's something about the Quinns team. They just they don't know when they're beaten, do they? No. And what a turnaround, though, because obviously when, when Gustard was still there earlier in the season, it wasn't good. No. It wasn't good at all. Yeah, a miraculous turnaround. Dan, Danny Kerr is probably playing some of the best rugby of his life. Well, it, honestly, to the end of his career, but you, you know, we we all know that um, Eddie Jones gears around the World Cups, so everything now is focused on the next World Cup. But on merit and on form, he's the best scrum half in England, arguably. You know, Britain. You take him on the Lions tour for the purposes of just winning the Lions tour. Yeah, God, he'd be there for me. Definitely there for me. Well, anyway, let's uh, let's get back on topic. Our twenty-seven listeners, I'm sure, will be devastated if we uh, we don't talk too much about bikes. But um, I wanted to I wanted to ask you a few things. So obviously, we 
we're back at Snet last week on a track, which was great. Um, as we know, the Millie, Millie went really well. And probably like any, or certainly, certainly a lot of amateur track riders, I'd had a couple of good track days and started having a nose around amateur racing, club racing. Um, quickly learning that I'm nowhere near quick enough. So just to put it into perspective, I'm, I'm running now in the middle group. Um, I know Mallory quite well, and I'm running at about 15 seconds a lap off the lap record. So to put that into rough perspective, given the length of the circuit, I'd be lapped about every five laps if I was racing Luke Stapleford, the, the lap record holder. So I thought, okay, let's, you know, I don't need to compare myself to the pros. So that's not my intention. But then looking at club racing even, I'm seven or eight seconds a lap off the winners in what would be my equivalent class if I was on my Aprilia. So I'm keen to understand from you, Dad, you know, how, how did you get into it and get started? Because I don't think you were doing track days or anything which led into your racing. Is that right? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I'd... Um, been to loads and loads of, of race meets. I used to follow the race of the year. That was exciting with the Americans coming over. Um, post heat at Mallory, never miss one. Uh, and it seems funny looking back now. We don't live that far from Mallory Park, but when you're on a 45 mile an hour moped, it's, it seems a thousand miles away. <laughs> um, we used to love it, absolutely love it. So I've been probably watching the boat racing since I was 10 years old. Uh, lovely chap next door, George Mander, who used to take uh, me and his son Pete uh, as young kids. Um, and he used to take a, a couple of milk milk crates for us to stand on so we could see. So, yeah, it was in my blood. I still and, do uh, that now, though, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm not much taller these days. And uh, it was my brother, actually. Started talking about it. We both got a couple of 250LC yams. And um, we started uh, watching the um, New Era Club, and they got a, it was called the Formula LC 250 class. Uh, and it looked absolutely full on. It was full contact. <laughs> what do you um, mean What do you mean by full contact? I had plenty of elbows and, yeah. So, uh, I race prepped both the bikes and we joined a club and got our ACU licences and off we went uh, we hadn't got a trailer or a van and we went all the way down to Pembury in South Wales and we borrowed um, a horse trailer which weighed God knows how much it burnt the clutch out on my brother's car but we got there went out and practised I've been studying this circuit for months and months leading up to it. And we'd done a couple of Wednesdays at Mallory, you know, actually got out on the track. And But you'd have never, obviously, again, having never done track days or anything, no, this would have no. been a brand new circuit to you. Yeah, first time on a track was a couple of Mallory's. Then we ended off for, for Pembrey, so went out in the morning practice and a couple of the LC lads came past me quite briskly. And I thought, I mean, these lads are... I know, but there was a, a few mates had come down to to support me, and uh, so I was, so I was a bit nervous. Just put it mildly, but uh, <laughs> first race in the collecting area, and I was, I was wretching and 
<laughs> oh, felt sick and it was terrible. The nerves were incredible. Got on the lawn, and as soon as the flag drops, the nerves go and it's just a huge adrenaline injection. Um, anyway, I think it was eight laps uh, and I finished. I thought, I haven't done too bad. And it turned out, I think I had a 32 riders. I finished about 15th, 16th, which not too shabby. It's pretty good. Yeah, yeah, I suppose. Realised me boy wasn't anywhere near as quick as it should be to run with the fast lads. But it was a start, and I'll still remember it to this day. Funneling back in on the slowdown lap, and oh, it's euphoric. I was, I was absolutely buzzing. It's uh, if you could bottle that sensation, you'd you'd be a millionaire. Came in, and the guy who won it, who I, I, I got to know really well. Uh, prior to that, uh, after that first race, sorry, a guy called Ian Taylor, great rider, great bloke, and he got his leathers unzipped, he was drinking a cup of tea, and I was, <laughs> I was still going back to the horse spots on my bottle. <laughs> so, Dripping with sweat, no doubt. Yeah, oh, God, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it was, um, it was an eye-opener, to say the least, but uh, that was it. I, I just ate, slept, drank bike racing for all the years I did it after that it's very very addictive so where though and, and this is I guess what I'm trying to ask you now and, and if there are any you know budding young racers where does that come from because I couldn't now take my relatively well prepared relatively quick track bike and go and come middle of the field I'm looking at race results from clubs like Emra and, and Thundersport etc I'm a couple of seconds off last place. So where does that, where did that riding come from? Where did that ability come from to, you know, for your first ever race to come middle of the field? Because I've now done 10, 10 or 12 track days and I'm still slower than what last place would be. And don't, this is not cue for you to insult me or, or <laughs> take the uh, take the piss out of my riding. Keen to know, you know, where's that come from? How have you become that quick on a bike without ever being on a track? Um... I think the lads I used to ride with on the road always used to say to me, God, you're really quick you are. You ought to have a go at racing. And I never took much notice. Well, never had enough money to do it. but uh, <laughs> yeah, um, Couldn't afford a horse box and uh, nah. some sticky letters. Or numbers, uh, sorry. I think it, the secret, Joe, I, I can't really answer your questions. You are, you've, you've come into motorbiking very late. You know, I started at 10. You started at 32. Yeah, so, true. you know, I've got 22 years ahead of you uh, in terms of knowing, understanding the bike that's underneath you and where, you, where you, 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 your boundaries are really is the big one because people have got this, this bubble that they, they, they live their life within, if you like. And yeah. I'll, I'll give you an example. I, I didn't just rock up at Pembury and, and, and start winning stuff. You know, it, it took me a good couple of seasons and learning about my bike, improving the bike and improving myself. But I can remember at Mallory Park, obviously our local track, I, must, I wish I got a pound for every lap I'd done around there, but um, and on the LC, uh, the quick lads, uh, good mates of mine, we, we teamed up together 
uh, Carl Freeman. Yeah, I remember Carl. Yeah, top lad, Carl. Good lad. Uh, Danny Tarrant, another quick lad, broke road for Jerry Powell. Um, and a couple of other boys uh, who were pretty tidy. And I, I couldn't get the entran, entry into Gerard's Bend, right? And Gerard's is a third of Mallory Park. If you can do Gerard's in, middle and out, quick, you're going to get some good lap times there. It's the key to a good lap at Mallory, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. It, it carries all of that exit speed into the back straight as well. It's really essential for a good lap. Yeah, definitely. I'll say a good lap. I mean, I've, I've just told the world that well the world our few listeners that I'm two seconds slower than the slowest racer on my bike but you, you get the point but it, um, it's all about perseverance and also bursting that bubble uh, that mental bubble because I spent two seasons doing 60 second laps and in the meantime Carl who I then teamed up with um he was he was in the fifty eights, low fifty eights, and I, I couldn't. It was I, I couldn't physically open the throttle into Gerard's or let the brakes off because I was I was in my bubble and I couldn't get out of it. Whichever way you moved, you went. It was this bubble that stopped you, more mentally more than anything, from from opening that throttle quicker or a bit less brake. And I got quite frustrated and I just spent probably over a season and a half just doing minute dead, minute dead, minute dead and I couldn't move forward. Um, and then the one race, Carl said, follow me, follow me into Gerrard's. So him and Danny took off and I got a good start and I got tucked in behind Carl and I could remember the first flying lap tipping into Gerrard's and I remember shouting inside my crash helmet, Jesus! I'd never gotten that quick into there. <laughs> uh, ended up beating Carl, finished second, a wheel, half a wheel behind Danny Tarrant, and came in, I thought, I've done, and every lap after that, I did it, because I'd burst the bubble, I'd, I'd made the bubble bigger yeah. and grown into it. And then, ran up, got the race sheets, um, fastest lap, Andy Madden, 58.1. <laughs> and just getting that that entry, uh, and I, I, it was like getting the monkey off your back. And after that, it, it just got better and better. Um, well, I think it's quite amazing when you actually. I mean, I'm nowhere near it yet, but when you start to realise what the bikes are capable of. I remember the one of the first track days we we went on, and we took the R1 uh, first, and probably the last time it's been on track for a while, but. Uh, I remember the obviously you get the photographer at the track and um it felt like I was absolutely hanging off the bike felt like my my knee was down my elbow was you know grazing the the, the tarmac it felt like I was absolutely arse out the seat the bike was lent right over and we um we got the pictures that came through and I had a look and honestly it was embarrassing I was bolt upright um, I'd probably shuffled two inches off the side of the seat. All my body weight was over the middle of the bike and the bike was almost upright. And you can actually see in the background of the picture other riders that are about to overtake me that have got a decent lean angle on. So I think one of the biggest things for me, you, you realise actually what the bikes are capable of. And, you know, they've got so much and they're, they're so capable of turning at speed and they want to, don't they? And it, a lot of it's in your head, I think. Um so interestingly then, if 
you know, if you were talking now to somebody 20 years old, whatever, who wants to get into racing, shoestring budget, you know, what would you, how would they start that? What would your advice be? Um, I think the expression baby steps, don't expect too much too soon. Um, expect a big bucket full of disappointment, heartache, no money. <laughs> oh, oh, it's glamorous. Yeah, I was yeah. Gonna, you're really selling it. Yeah, somebody said to me once, when I started in Formula LC racing, they said, oh, that's the, the, the cheap end of the racing game, and I said, no, there, there isn't a cheap end, mate. Um, I work when I'm not racing, I work Saturdays and Sundays overtime to pay my entry fees, my tyres, my engines. Uh, I said, there's no such thing as cheap racing. So, no, I'd go for it, be patient, like I said, baby steps, um, and get some good people around you. Uh, some people with good knowledge. I, I benefited from that. Uh, the likes of Sean Webster, who would just sit quietly, uh, smash him low, Sean and Rita. I can't mention Sean without mentioning Rita. Yeah. We'll get in trouble. But uh, yeah, he just quietly watch and then come out and have a little word. Uh, try fourth gear into that, that second corner. <laughs> okay, Sean. And he was, was uh, Welsh, was he? He was Welsh. He was Welsh. <laughs> He's from up north. But um, now go for it. Uh, but like I say, don't uh, don't think you're going to run before you can walk. Yeah. It's uh, it's quite a tough learning curve, and you know you you, you got to take the the lows with the highs sort of thing. But uh, I think the the other thing as well, as you do these days, you know you've got a plethora of media content, YouTube videos, tutorials, the ultimate guide to top ten of. And I watched every track day guide under the sun before my first one. And something that stuck with me, I think it was the um, the chief test rider for the MCN, Michael Neves, I think. And he said, uh, so, you've been out and you've watched a few track days. You, you think you're quite tasty on the road. You've looked at the guy going at the back or even your local club race. And you've, you've looked at the guy in last place and you've thought, God, he's not going quick. I can, I'm definitely faster than that think again because that person on that bike in his mind in his world is going fast and I didn't really get that until I actually got on track and you know I remember coming off my first session I'd done 20 minutes I came off I was dripping with sweat I was absolutely elated I was buzzing absolutely buzzing and that was at the time the quickest I'd ever ridden a motorbike and I was as I said in episode one the slowest rider in Leicestershire, without question. I was the slowest of the slow group. I was being overtaken left, right and centre. I was like a mobile chicane. And yeah, for me, on that bike, it's fast. So I think one of the things that, that you know, came home as, as quite a stark realisation is that I could go and take the old Millie on a track and, you know, try and, uh, try and cut my cloth in some amateur racing and I'm absolutely going to bring up the rear. Um, and it's going to be a bit of a culture shock. So I think there's no question that, you know, respect to anybody that goes and does it and races, you know, whether they're first or last, it is quick, isn't it? Oh, that's a doubt, but oh, don't put yourself down so much, Joe, because that, that's net meeting the other way, that track day. I have to before you get your jibes in, that's what it is. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
That was that dad trouble with me calendar, Tom. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah you've, that's um, twice in two episodes you've yeah, cracked sorry. that joke. Uh, that's gone now. Um, you, you, I, shouldn't, I wouldn't put yourself down because you, you're still a real newcomer to Two Wheels. Yeah. And a couple of weeks ago, you rocked up at Snet and you've gone from in the morning to the afternoon. You've lost five seconds a lot. Mm. So I'd say that is some, you know, if you graph that as a learning curve... You're going more up than across the graph. That, that is really, really impressive, I would think. And if you can go back, when we go back there again um, and do the same thing again, all of a sudden you're looking at your amateur races thinking, oh, hang on, I didn't finish last now. Uh, and like I say, you, you chip away, you chip away, baby steps, um, and it will go up the road, you know, whether it's your fault or not. And that'll that'll set you back a tad. You, yeah. you get you know you you become a little bit cautious and your confidence gets a bit of a, a boot. But um, no, I, I think you're you're in a short space of time. You've you've really improved. So, oh, thank yeah, you. Good on you, mate. I am waiting for a punchline, but uh, I'll, I'll take a recorded compliment well, from your I mean, dad. Obviously, you're still not as quick as your sixty-year-old <laughs> arthritic father, but uh... that's won multiple race championships. <laughs> Let's caveat that. There's no, there's no shame in that, mate. But I guess the good thing is, if and when the uh, the millie ever does go up the road, we're pretty well versed now in putting it back together, aren't we? So, oh god, I'd, yeah. I'd say we're close to being expert level rebuilding yeah. RSV millies. Yeah, which is a bonus. But yeah, listen. Speaking of bringing up the rear and chucking it up the road unfortunately um, Valentino Rossi wasn't good last weekend um, I think he was running around towards the rear before he chucked it in the gravel shame same you know same as, as we discussed last week it's uh, not looking good for the goat is it no not at all um, I really 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 hope it's his last season uh, yeah. like I said in the first chat we had you know, he just reminds me of an old heavyweight boxer. They never know when to give up, hang the gloves open. You know, I, I shall always remember him when he, when he could almost tease the field on that V5 yeah. under. Um, it was a great bike, but he, he, he could almost look round, start laying some, switch all the tracking control on, start laying some darkies, and he could almost play with the rest of the, the pack, and that was him at his peak. So, yeah, to see him wandering round in 15th uh, gives me no enjoyment whatsoever so and did you I mean honestly it makes me cringe now um, did you see Marquez come off in practice yeah another massive high side it's almost um, it's seven or eight times now he's had that same carbon copy where the rear end's lit up it's then gripped and it's been a textbook high side it's almost you know, thrown him over like a bucking bronco, and you can see now, almost in mid-air, he's trying to shield that arm. I mean, that's yeah. not nice to watch, is it? I mean, the guy's got to be made of rubber at this point, surely. He's, sort of going back to my race days, when I did, I, I didn't fall off that often, but obviously I did. Um, and I don't know why, compared to my brother... He'd always fall off in the wet, going up to a hairpin at about 30. <laughs> nice little graceful yeah, slide and, off. and gracefully, just, you know, on the wet track, slide away onto the grass, pick himself up, and I don't think he even bruised himself in the year zero. 
mine were always absolute mincers, you know. I remember coming out of the airpin at Mallory, I was leading it by a street and I was trying to break into 56 seconds on the LC. And it was a gorgeous hot day, they'd got fresh rubber on, new tyres. And I'd absolutely walloped them. I was at the airpin, they were coming out into the S's. Paul Egan, I think, Ben Wilkins. Uh, I, I, I was a one my own gone. And um, I remember coming out of the airpin just cracked it on, I thought, 56-9, 56-8, is. I'm on it. And uh, cracked it open, it turned out, uh, a couple of races earlier, there was a Triumph went down, and he put some, uh, it was either coolant or oil down, on quite a tight line. Yeah. And I'd, I'd gone tight to get a straight drive to the bus stop she came, and I must have just caught the edge of it. Oh, dearie me. It just spun the back out, it was second gear, slipping the clutch as well, um, and it just spun the back out, and it, all of a sudden it came round, gripped, and threw me up, and I remember going up, and then turning round in the air, and looking like upside down, and seeing my petrol tank, <laughs> the, the impact of it, it was that violent, it had pulled the petrol tank off the rubber, and the, I remember the fuel spraying and the tank spinning in the air, and I've landed on my back. Oh, jeez. And it goes quiet. When you have these crashes, you can't hear anything. It's, it's quite bizarre. Well, it did for me. Um, and then all of a sudden, boom, bang, 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 and all the noise starts again then. It's and, almost uh, like a moment of peace while you're in the Yeah, it was. Yeah, tranquility. They say that's what drowning's like, don't they? I think, yes, yeah, something like that, yeah. <laughs> I don't know who. I, I nearly drowned in my own petrol that day. But, uh, <laughs> and I, I remember crawling... To the uh, to the side of the track, to the the grass bank, they're like paving slabs, red white, red white, you know, and and just and the marshals come over and drag me up, and uh, oh god, threw me all myself, and he, he says, "You're all right. Do you need a neck brace?" I said, "No, I'm all right, man. It's me back. Luckily, I started wearing a back protector then, but took the full force on me back." So you you said to the marshal, "I'm okay. It's only my back. Yeah, I, I'm fine. It's just my spine." Yeah. But that was fine. He was worried about my head, so... Oh, as long as yeah, that's all right. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, I couldn't come <laughs> down with a bit of a bang. And, um, but, yeah, I can remember sitting there thinking, that was a 56-second lap, that was. <laughs> <laughs> and, ironically, a couple of my mates are in the crowd, Jez Gilbert. Oh, yeah, are yeah. in the crowd. He's going, you OK? And I said, yeah, yeah, well, as could be expected. But, um, immediate thought, that was my fast lap. That was going to be my best ever lap on an LC uh, around Mallory, and I'd have been unique because I don't think anybody ever dipped in the 56s. Uh, 57 dead, there was about three or four of us did that. So I'd have been in the uh, the 56 club on my own, hopefully. But Impressive. Not to be. <laughs> not so, to be. So before we wrap up, um, I want to hear your funniest ever moment on track from your race days. Funniest? Yeah. Oh, God. Um, well, funniest or uh, most memorable? Uh, am I allowed to use a bit of fruity language? Yeah, we'll, we have to put the, we'll have to put the podcast that was explicit, but okay. I'm sure our, our 27 listeners will well, be happy with that. We, again, uh, the LC racing was just the best ever. We, we all parked up together in the pits we all parted for England 
Um, but by the way, we should add as a bit of a disclaimer that you absolutely don't recommend to any budding young racers that they have eight pints the night before a race. Oh, most definitely not. Almost definitely not. Most definitely not. But you no, tried I'll, it once. Oh, well, go on, we'll come yeah, on. Yeah, I, I can actually think of a not-so-rude story, but uh, we were, um, were at Snetterton. It was the last race of the season, and um, we, it was a two-day, Saturday and Sunday. So we'd raced on the Saturday. Um, I'd, I'd, I'd had a... a pretty good day I think I won a couple and had a second so it's a good day so we put the box so I rock come on lads run it so we're up the clubhouse at Snet and things got a bit rowdy uh, and the gaffer beyond the bar was saying just calm it down else you're all out we're gonna kick you out and so yeah yeah chill out mate you know bloody hell <laughs> so next thing the doors burst open double doors and all you can hear is Somebody's got a paddock bike, start bollock naked, <laughs> riding, riding it round the bar at Snet. <laughs> the gaffer's gone mad. You're all banned, get out with us. Oh, do one. Brilliant. The so, amateur racing days. Yeah, great. Naked paddock bike round the bar. That was fun. But um, we, there, there's, there's been loads. Um, I remember our kid saying can you type your tent down I'm, I'm, I'm going to be late getting down to Pembury so we put his tent up there was a big tannoy in the middle of the field on its own we put his tent up right underneath his tannoy <laughs> pointed it down on his tent <laughs> <laughs> that didn't get down too well oh, oh another one I'll just tell you quickly so I'm coming back there's um, Carl Freeman's driving the tranny van we used to have a bit of fun to and from races as well, uh, hurling abuse at uh, other riders. and So there's Carl Freeman driving, uh, I'm, I'm next to Carl, and Paul Barnard, the dirty old brummie, yeah. he's, he's by the window. And he, he used to turn up, he's, he was always dirty, I don't know what he ever did. Grease, horrible air, and he's still, he's still the same 25 years later, but uh, yeah, the old brummie. And we're coming up up a dual carriageway, and we saw this um, Royal Mail van, uh, red, and obviously they'd painted over the Royal Mail thing. And it was, we thought it was Danny Tarrant and Nodge Willett, because they had exactly that van. So I said to the old brummy, I said, get your arse out, youth. I said, look, it's Tarrant and Willett. And he's gone, oh, oh, bloody brilliant, mate, great, mate. So he's dropped his keg. <laughs> Stuck his dirty, hairy arse out the window. And as we'd gone by, I looked, and it was a couple of pensioners. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> You've never seen a bloke get his trousers back on so quick. Got the fright of their lives. Oh, probably, these poor... They? I bet they're sitting somewhere now, saying, do you remember that van that came by with that man's bum? Oh, yeah. God. <laughs> that dirty I, man's bum. I know Paul as well, so I can imagine that wasn't a pleasant sight for them. Bloody hell. Well, yeah, bags of fun. Good uh, good tales. I'm sure there's plenty more to come as oh, well. Oh, it was they're, they're just the ones that can retail. <laughs> yeah, let, we, yeah we don't want to incriminate anybody. No, else. some ribbed X-rated. Or so. yourself. Yeah. Well, just yeah, so to finish up then, quick updates on, on what's in the garage. So the Cafe Racer, the GPZ Cafe Racer, ticking along now. We've got it um, running. I've got the carbs dialed in. So it's running very nicely. Throttle response is good. The electrics are now done. Um, we're on to aesthetics really we've got to get 
the tank on. We've got a little bit of fabbing work to do. Um, we need a battery case. Uh, obviously, the battery will be hidden away under the rear seat cowl. Um, Mould for the seat cowl needs making, but yeah, not too far away. And maybe uh, the next project on the horizon as well. We'll we'll keep everybody posted on that. You obviously follow the progress of the build on Instagram at AMJ Motorcycles. But yeah, maybe going down to collect the next project this weekend. That'd be good. And in your garage, the trap bike, the R1. Yeah, the race bike. Um, you and our good mate Carl are coming around tomorrow. Uh, it's just a little bit too heavy to lift the engine out on my own. So it's weird because I managed it. Yeah, Joe, you're 30 years younger than me. And harder. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, uh, the. the uh, Ran a big end on that one. That's the standard engine, but the race one, which destroyed a gearbox like you've never seen one destroyed yeah. before. Uh, I've got a new gearbox in it now. Uh, got it all buttoned up. So I'll move that to one side to get the, the stocker engine out. Um, so it's an engine transplant and then rebuild. Yeah, and we're away. Cross, we're, excellent. Well, you're on it at the 30th yeah. at Mallory, so... Uh, that thing is going to be absolutely hooning by then. Don't yeah. jet kit going in here. Canon filter. It's quick, isn't it? it yeah. I've, I've got the Dorno sheets. It's pretty impressive. Uh, for a 20-year-old bike, um, you know, over 150 at the back wheel is... That's probably nudging 180 at the crank. Yeah. So for, for a bike of its age, but that Dorno jet kit will really pep it up. Stage 3 kit. Uh, I'll task you with doing that. Yeah, fine. You can uh, you can reveal the carb so oh, yeah, excellent. Oh, also, uh, I've told you, um, our mate Sweetie, yeah, Nick Sweet, yeah, yeah, Nick Sweet, good, good rider, lad, good, good racer. rider, two promising young lads coming through as well. Yeah, um, spoke to him yesterday, and he's got a, an RS one two five Aprilia, which uh, the lads and Nick ride. Uh, track bike and they've had nothing but disasters whole pistons all manner of problems so I spoke to Nick I, I was pretty good on the old strokers um, <laughs> you are an old stroker yeah I am an old stroker <laughs> so he's bringing both the engines down uh, and I'm going to strip and rebuild them oh well. nice so good good yeah well that's your your forte isn't it the two stroke world yeah yeah and you know it's all else pay the rent so now, <laughs> now i'm unemployed yeah true so no, yeah good. i look forward to that um i think uh, he, he sent me a picture a picture of the piston top and the thing looks really lean so i'm guessing he's either sucking air in or he's got the jetting way out or it could be squish clearance ignition timing combination of everything but uh, we'll, we'll get him going Oh, good. So, yeah. a, a, well, not so much busy doing nothing then for the next few weeks. Oh no, oh, yeah, yeah. I love it, right? It's uh, it's it's not a job, you know. It's not um, thinking. Oh, I've got to get up and go to work. Uh, oh, that's it. It's it's oh, thoroughly excellent. enjoyable. So, for for those who are listening, the noise you just heard was a pigeon fly overhead. We're uh, we're al fresco today, sat in the garden. Um, but yeah, okay, Dad. Look, we'll uh, we'll wrap it up. Good episode, I think. Um, <laughs> Good chat, good stories, plenty of nostalgia. Yeah. Any uh, any final thoughts? Not a Star Trek reference this time. Any final thoughts? Yeah. What was my last one? Well, live long and prosper. Live long and prosper. Which you have literally 
in the 34 years I've been alive you have never said before it's quite profound well, that, I, I could leave you with this note couldn't I, couldn't I? as the one onion said to the other <laughs> that's your lot wow <laughs> we'll cut that <laughs> cut, cut that bit out right Okay, well, so yeah, we'll, we'll wrap it up. Um, thank you very much for listening. This was uh, episode two of the Grumpy Biker Show, the, the difficult second episode, but I think it's gone pretty well. Um, as I said, you can find a link to the podcast in our bio. Uh, you can hear us on Spotify uh, and various other channels wherever you, you listen to your podcasts. And if you can and if you want to and if you enjoyed it, remember to subs- uh, subscribe and follow the podcast and also give us a follow on Instagram at AMJ Motorcycles. And until the next episode, yeah, keep it sunny side up.